bleeding this week? My heart is bleeding for multiple reasons, not the least of which is I paid taxes yesterday. Today, taxes are due if you're a U.S. citizen. So if you haven't filed your taxes, you should not be listening to us. Otherwise, you'll be listening to us in prison. Yeah, um, your taxes, I see, I think, uh, I don't know, I thought our taxes were complicated, but I think they're not as complicated as yours. It seems that uh, you have 9,000 forms to fill in or something to make it all work, don't you? Something like that. You're either kind of a very simple employee in which they take the money as you're doing it, or if you're, you know, if you're independent or do any type of self-employed in any way, then it becomes a lot more complicated. But, uh, yeah. So I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, I think it was the Bootstrapped FM podcast. Um, it was a few episodes ago now, and they were talking about filing taxes and how if you are if you produce software and you sell software that is actually under U.S. law considered manufacturing and you can get a manufacturing credit against your taxes. Do you file for that? I did not know that, and no, I didn't. Wow. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth, a silly thing. It's worth several thousands of dollars, and apparently you, huh. you can back claim a number of years once you discover it. Oh, really? Wow, maybe I will have to go do that. I'll put, yeah, a, link I mean, in the show, it, I'll put a link in the show notes to these stuff about it. Um, obviously, they say check with your CPA, but... Um, they do say most CPAs don't know that, but once they know it, they the paperwork is it's pretty easy. You either qualify, you don't, and you fill it in. I'll put a link in the show notes. That is very very interesting. Yeah, I mean the the basic thing about taxes is, is if you can afford to hire a professional to do it, then you can you can navigate the laws that the these various groups have put into the tax code so that they can have these arcane loopholes so that they can get away with paying as little or no tax as possible. Yeah, I, I don't uh, understand U.S. taxes, but it was something about because you're a manufacturing industry or you're manufacturing a product, a certain credit applies to your taxes, you can put against them and pay less tax. So there we are. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link in. That's it. You're at the limit, uh, limit of my knowledge now. Um, all right. Anyway, I started off saying about Heartbleed. Uh, um, have you been affected by it at all? If people uh, don't know, yes, Heartbleed I'm, is this open SSL um, vulnerability that's been been discovered. Yeah, so two things about that. One is that uh, my buddy David Spector posted online saying that, wow, this is uh, the fact that it's being written about in The New Yorker indicates just how, how important it is or kind of how widespread it is. And, and I, I had heard about it and, and I understood that was some type of buffer overflow of uh, or kind of, but it was actually much simpler than, than I had originally understood. All it was is like, Hi, I'm going to send you up to 64K of data, and you're going to give me back 64K of data, but the receiving end didn't trust, didn't actually verify that the that what was being sent was a full 64K, right? So that you just, you say in the header, I'm sending you this much data, and you send much less, and then they said, okay, well, I'll just give you 64K of memory. It was like really dumb. And, uh, and so, yes, we were affected by it in that we use Amazon services and they use OpenSSL or, or basically the machines as, as most typically configured do. So we had to, to you know, redo all our certs and whatnot. And uh, I'm sure a number of websites that I use uh, have been affected. So uh, who, what was the guy? Bruce Schneier, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who said, yes, it's out of a, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's 11. Um, and the NSA saying, oh, we had no idea about this. We didn't exploit this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like hell they didn't. But it's, uh, yeah, so basically everyone's been recommended to go change your password on almost anything really, especially things like Facebook um, and uh, Amazon, Amazon Web Services and S3 and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the, the chances of you being compromised are pretty small on any of them, but yeah, it's a precaution, just change every single password. I mean, I am I run three or four different servers, um, the 
bug was on all of them. However, um, I'm not actually running anything that provides myself that provides an SSL connection. So even though I've patched all my servers, because I'm not running any SSL certificates or anything on there, it's not really affected anything I'm doing. But I am unpatched just to make myself feel good. Good. So you can like you can put that out as a little badge of honor somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, everyone patched and, you know, there's always vulnerabilities coming out. And yet, you know, lots of Mac developers and iOS developers who are just run their own sites and doing their own thing. Maybe it's even just so that you can log in to get your license key back or whatever it might be. They're all saying, yes, I'm Heartbleed, um, you know, covered now. And I think, you know, the reason that that's the case is the way I've not seen a vulnerability announced in this way before as in as its own website it was given a code name it had a logo and i think you know there's an excellent article by patrick mckenzie which i'll link to in the show notes that said you know they actually effectively marketed the vulnerability um and everybody picked it up and, yeah. and went and read right. it whereas if there'd just been another well this is vulnerability you know sh5922467 stroke nine you know people would have said oh yeah i'll look at that at some point or whatever uh, i mean obviously main people like amazon and whatever else wouldn't have done that because they look at every vulnerability but people like us wouldn't have necessarily uh looked at that so there was um to, to me out of that there was a really sort of marketing message about this whole thing that that uh you know the, the people who I don't know, he even put the, the, the stuff together, made a very good job of getting everybody to know it and not only just knowing it, picking up and being interested in it by the way they did it, I think. That's a really interesting point. I mean, I think part of it is the, is the times, you know, that, that, that people, after all the NSA stuff, now kind of the dots are connected and it becomes clear how they were able to do it, you know, without having had back, you know, explicit back doors. Like, well, no, they have had, you know, I'm sure they, they said, oh, we had no idea about it. You know, I don't know whether I'd go so far as to say they put it in there in the first place. But, you know, I would imagine that if you're the NSA or some other similar agency, you spend a lot of time pouring over this stuff and you discover something that's like, ooh, the foundations of all Internet security that everybody is, has thought were rock solid aren't so rock isn't so rock solid um, but I think the other interesting point is that you know we say at various times that that you know design is as important as engineering is as important as QA and here's a great example of it you know everybody who when, when they listen to me or other people saying you should think about how you present stuff and learn how to pitch and learn how to communicate in 10 words or less uh, here's a reason why it's like you know I imagine that the people who are involved in security are not the the most um, outgoing kind of gregarious let's go give a you know a, a funny talk somewhere type of folk and uh, they somebody clearly partnered um, and realized that, that it really was important that marketing matters and it, it's artful I thought it was artful I mean I'm almost almost ready to, to, to purchase the the heartbleed t-shirt I mean this has raised the whole question again I'm not sure how I feel about this or how relevant it is to us as app developers because obviously we were talking about a um an OS utility effectively or, or part of it but then I guess it is relevant that people are sort of making the argument that look if we used programming languages and frameworks that didn't allow you to have direct access to memory and just chuck bits of memory back and, and whatever else then a lot of these bugs would go away and the sort of you know let's get rid of um, you know whichever platform you're on let's get rid of C or let's get rid of objective C um, sort of group of using this to their to their benefit whether that's valid or not i don't know but you know do you think actually 
you know, this is stuff that we should be protected from now by uh, compilers and languages, and we shouldn't really be having to deal with these issues now? I, you know, I think it's an interesting point. I don't think necessarily that the, 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 the fact of the C language giving you such kind of, you know, uh, close to the metal access is, is makes it less secure than, than, than a higher level one, because at some point the higher level stuff does ultimately do, do does run on some type of runtime, which is probably written in C or something close to the metal. So, I mean, I think it's more a question of the motivation and the, how do I say, yeah, the, the environment in which the code is written. I mean, I think in some ways this, I wouldn't say it all calls into question open source, but I think that there were people who, if you didn't use OpenSSL and you used one of the commercial libraries, presumably you weren't, uh, you weren't affected by this. And so the question is why, you know, I think the, the argument usually is that open source is, is more secure because more people's eyes are, are doing on it, are on it and, and reputation in some ways is a more uh, powerful motivator than just a, a salary. I, I, I just, you know, I, I guess what it comes down to is is that a lot of people have these assumptions about somebody else is, is worrying about it, so you don't have to. And I think that, I think, to me, two things come to mind. You know, what Scott McNeely said, oftentimes, you know, the former CEO and, and co-founder of Sun always used to say when when the when the commercial internet became popular, that there is no privacy. Get over it. And and I think you you have to work under those those conditions or the, those assumptions. I think the other thing too is that there are clearly a set of best practices which even as app developers, you know, you should be taking. And so that means, for instance, if you're storing stuff, store it in Keychain. And if you're keep and if you have a service that has people's passwords, maybe you ought not to store their passwords. Maybe you should use OAuth. Or but if you are storing people's passwords, there there you know look, take the time to to learn a little bit about it about how to to kind of not store people's passwords and store something else, store a hash, whatever, you know. Um, well, well, that brings me nicely on to another subject because I'm, I'm that's exactly what I've been looking at this afternoon is um, I'm looking into the way I'm going to be doing syncing in some of, uh, in an application I'm doing. Um, I've made the decision to go with a central truth as opposed to trying to do peer-to-peer syncing and we'll talk about that some other time. Um, as opposed to now, but uh, I want to try and decide how to identify the data to sync, and therefore I'm going to have a, a username or an email address and a password. Um, just the whole thing, you know, just ask a question. How do, how do I store the password at the server? What, what's, what's considered a secure way? And I've been doing some research, and obviously, you know, um, I would immediately say, well, I'm not going to store it in plain text, but apparently... <laughs> Because I thought that's blindingly obvious, but apparently it's not to everybody as you read some of the stuff that's out there. Even some quite well-known sites have been caught with their passwords in plain text. Um, But even just sort of a a simple hash isn't considered good enough, and then you salt the hash, and that's now not considered good enough. And, you know, it's it's a case of, well, okay, this should have been very simple, and now I'm really quite confused. I mean, you guys have to handle passwords. Um, Obviously, you may have trade secrets, or it may be an area that you don't don't know. I mean, but how do you how do you view passwords in the system? Uh, well, t- uh, I'm not a security expert, but we do we do our own authentication, and this is interesting because at various points, people have said, "Well, why 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 should you have your own you know uh, password, and why should you do the authentication versus using Twitter to to do sign on or or Facebook to do sign on or or any of these other systems out there?" I mean, this is. This is much much discussed. I, I will say that we do we we do follow this stuff closely, and we do have people that, that we believe are, are competent at security and doing the right thing. Um, but I think that it, it, this is an interesting 
I, I would say that for, for us, it kind of makes sense because we want to have full user accounts and we don't want to be dependent on, on some other social network for, for, for doing it. I mean, there is some value to kind of owning your, your users, so to speak, or, you know, having control over it. Um, you know, for, I would say for other sites, for other applications, I, you know, it may be perfectly well to say if, if, if you're certain that your customers will have Twitter, either Twitter or Facebook, Facebook, you know, want to let them do it because it, with the argument being that they're, uh, uh, there are far more people working and th worrying about that than, than you're ever going to have uh, worrying about it. So you, you know, let somebody else worry about it. Um, had you con have you considered that at all? Or, um, sorry, my microphone was muted. Uh, yes, I'm, I am. But if you can't rely on the fact that uh, someone will have a Facebook account or a Twitter account mm. because. Uh, not everybody will do so you still uh. probably have to implement something of your own anyway yeah. Um, yeah. so you then ask yourself the question well if I'm implementing my own why you know why would I use the other services it's just creating right. more work for me but on the yeah. other hand um, I think especially in consumer software uh, which is what I'm talking about here people really don't like the idea of having hundreds of different logons and passwords and right. having to store them. And, and, you know, people like me and you probably use something like 1Password. Um, I'm just getting into the habit now of having different passwords for every site, you know, slap my wrists and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, but the majority of people don't. Um, but they might have a reasonable password on the one thing they use all the time, like Facebook or Twitter. Then again, uh, they may uh. not. So you know, I, I guess if I was going for... Um, supporting Facebook or um, Twitter logon, it would be more because it was convenient for the user as opposed to it was more secure for the right. user, um, but it would have to allow something else anyway. Um, I'm sure I'll em end up with something. I mean, the data that I'm syncing in this application, you know, it, it, it's not private data as such. It's, you know, if it did end up getting out into the public domain, you know, it's not going to be an issue. However, you you don't want to just stick it out there, so you do want some sort of, you know, thing around it. Um, but I'll probably end up with a sort of you know a salted hash mechanism on on the data or something, just in case the database gets into the wrong hands. Um, but uh, the main reason for that being is not again because I'm preventing access to somebody's data, but probably because if someone's put their email address and a password in, there's a good chance that that email address and password will work on other sites, which may be their bank right. or whatever else. So I have a responsibility just from at least right. that point of view to look after that password. Um, Cause even though it should be unique to my service, it probably isn't for most people. No. And I think that's, that's really all you can do is basically say you, you, you've done the right thing. No, I mean, you've said, okay, I will, I will understand what the, the, the minimum viable security practices are and I will follow them and that's it. And I, I assume that you, you know, I think more and more sites uh, will, will be required or at least, in, in, you know, compelled to, to, to say these are the, the steps that we've done or this is what we, you know, we've done. So to kind of the best practices, whatever kind of uh, seal of approval. <laughs> so at least, at least it's like, hey, I was doing what, what the industry told me to do. How did I know that somebody was going to exploit this? Yeah, I, I guess that's the that's that's the thing. In in like no one, I do know a um, uh, an app developer who was providing a um, actually a syncing service behind an application. Um, it was a subscribed based syncing service, 
and obviously he is using SSL and was using OpenSSL and then you know, wrote to all, to all his users and says, you know, we've patched now, but we do recommend you change your password just in case. <laughs> and he did have one person um, write back and say, well, the fact that you're using OpenSSL in the first place makes me lose total confidence in you that you are using open source software for this and I'm cancelling my account. And you're thinking... Yeah, most of the internet's using this, yeah, and that seems a little harsh. But yeah, you can never please everybody all of the time. No, you can't. But while we're talking about, uh, or are, are we done talking about about this? Because I, I have this great transition. Oh no, I've spoiled the transition by announcing it. But you ready for this one? Okay, John, do the transition. Okay, so you know we're talking about you know about access control, but. What about if you want to if you want people to have good access to your software? What if you want to make your software accessible? Do, 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 do. Let's talk about accessibility a little bit. Yes, John, let's talk about accessibility. Now this is obviously something you were looking at for Findry, yes? It is. It's something, you know, I remember we had uh, Martin on our, uh, you know, on some time ago. Or no, he gave a talk at NS conference, I guess. Uh, Martin Pilkington, Pilkey, right? And he's talked a lot about the, the, the need and the, the, you know, why, why developers should care about making their apps accessible. And at the time, it was very funny. I, you know, I was like saying, wow, it's not that hard and, and it really makes a world of difference and, and you should do it. And then, then I thought to myself, well, but for an app like Memory Miner, you know, how do you make something that is a photograph you know, accessible or not. And then, then I thought about it a little bit more. It's like, well, no, actually it does make sense because if somebody had marked up a photograph and told the backstory and there is text about that and descriptions of people and links, that's actually, you could make a really interesting experience. It, it would be the equivalent of, you know, if you can't see, but be, you're in the room with people who can look at a photograph and describe what's going on. Oftentimes, even if you're not looking at the photograph, the, 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 the sound of people's voices or even the content of what they're talking about is very, very evocative. And, um, you know, I never got around to do it. And I, I kind of, it's always been gnawing at me. And then recently, um, at Finder, we got uh, a message from somebody who, who, who doesn't see and had said, you know, uh, I love your app, but, you know, the, the, you have some weird labels and stuff like that. And, and I just wanted to make you aware of it. And, and it, it really kind of set me off for, I spent uh, a number of days going through the app, um, and trying to do the best I possibly can. I think I've succeeded pretty well, but, um, in making Findery accessible. And it was it was an interesting experience. You know, uh, the technologies are there. If you're not at all familiar with it, you know, accessibility in, in a nutshell means making people able to to use your software if they, despite, you know, whatever kind of issues they may have. If they have low vision, there are things you can do to change the contrast of the screen. If they have no vision at all, there's this great thing called voiceover. And, that, and that's mostly what, what, what people think about um, is the ability to have a voice kind of guide you through your app and to be able to say, you know, these are all the controls that exist on this screen and you can cycle through them and you can say, this is a button and this is what its label is and here's a hint for what it does. And uh, you can also have it kind of go through in series. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of that you kind of get for free, you know, if, if you're using standard navigation controllers and, 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 and standard UI buttons, you kind of get a lot of it for free. But uh, there are some fairly interesting subtle things that, that if you want to do a good job, you have to go and have a look at because everything that's done for you in an in, in interface builder can also, of course, be done programmatically. And uh, you come across some funny things. So, um, for example, you know, we have 
avatars, right? Our members have avatars which which identify them, and you know there's a collection view that says these are the these are the the members who have found a note, and so their their beautiful picture appears there. And if you tap on them, up comes an overlay. You can find out about them. Well, that's implemented as a UI image view ultimately, and it's inside of a, a collection view cell, and so. Um, with accessibility, one of the things you have is an accessibility trait. So is the, is the user interface widget, is it a button, is it a text field, is it a text view? And since it's an image view, it's not, you know, it's not immediately apparent if, you, if you're not sighted that, that, that tapping on it will do something. In fact, for that matter, it's not even necessarily obvious for, for somebody who can see. So you can override traits and say, well, for, for our purposes of accessibility, it is a button. And so, you know, what's really cool about it is you get you know, you put your phone in the in the in the in the way that you can triple click, you know, triple tap on on the home button and turn on voiceover, and it's it's really very interesting. And so, you know, the the very first screen in our app, the default first selected tab is the discover screen, and that's where we do things like you know, tell you what the weather is and, and where we've located you and how many note maps we have nearby. Um, and it was it was really it was very gratifying to kind of do the right thing and 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 pretend that you can't see to the extent that you can. And imagine what it'd be like for somebody to, to open up the app and say, oh, here, I'm going to tell you what we know about what's going on around you. And some of the funny things um, that you can you can take control of is uh, uh, the way that you, you it reads out the text, right? Because ultimately, it's it's text to speech, right? You, you feed the, the voice, you know, the voiceover mechanism, a bit of text, and it reads it out for you. And uh, in our weather, when you go to fetch the weather, you know it's displayed with a with a uh, you know a, a Unicode superscripted uh, degree symbol, right? And when that gets read out, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it literally kind of read it out. It's you know it's twenty five Unicode <laughs> Unicode superscript. It read out the kind of the Unicode for it, and not the word degrees, which you'd want it to do. So that was a case where where you can have one bit of one string that's available for display for people who see and one string that's specifically for, to be read and, and getting those things uh, smooth. You know, a, another thing is, is we kind of, you know, introduce a, a new term in, in our app called note map, which is kind of like photo stream. It's a concatenation of two words. And, and, you know, at first people say, what's a note map? And then you kind of, it's on us to explain it and, and show what it is. But uh, when it's, spelled out as one word it's pronounced by 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 you know uh uh by the voiceover as note map <laughs> instead of note map so you take the string you separate it into to, to two words and then it gets read properly so anyway we did all this stuff and uh now we're having some other people look at it and i'm sure that there there are other things that are obvious to somebody who really understands this and not obvious to me so you know, I, I tweeted a couple weeks ago saying that I was looking at it and, and saying, you know, we're committed to doing it. I will reiterate my commitment. And I will say this, even if you don't care about making your app accessible for, you know, kind of whatever, you know, it's the right thing to do reason. I think, you know, it's pretty clear that that, you know, text to speech and, and other ways of, of navigating through your software that aren't necessarily you tapping on the devices in your hand are clearly coming. I mean, there's CarPlay, there's, you know, you look at Windows 8 announcements and, and how much they're they're making of Cortana. If your app's not accessible, it can't really play in, in, in that way, in, in that mech environment. So I, I would, you know, here's my, my big plug saying, app developers, make your app accessible. It's the right thing to do, and it will absolutely pay other dividends. So I will end my speech with that.
I think a lot more people do that now than maybe three or four years ago. I mean, Pilkey's talk, believe it or not, was back in 2009. Um, so that's you know five years ago now. And I think since then, the whole topic... Of, and, and back when he gave that talk, I think accessibility was really quite rare um, in a lot of apps. There were some, some apps around that, that, that did it well, but on the whole. I think since then, a lot more people have focused on it. Some reasonably high-profile people have spoken about it a bit. And I think doing basic accessibility, such as filling in the labels in, in Interface Builder and whatever else, is, you know, you have no excuse not to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I think you have to be careful in the way you lay out your UI to make it make sense to someone. I mean, obviously, the, the, the um, text-to-speech stuff is, is for the visually impaired. Um mm-hmm. And and so yeah, there there is certain stuff you can do which is no excuse. However, to to make something truly accessible on a, on a wider range, it re- it requires as you're discovering more than just filling in the um, uh, you know th- those you have to be a little bit more forward thinking in the way of doing it. Uh, the app that um working on at the moment, which I still can't talk about, but hopefully next week might be able to or the week after. Um, actually, we're looking and playing with voice control, so you actually control the app with your voice instead of touch in many places. Um, you know, so that's going the opposite way round of you know speech to action as opposed to text to speech, and you know that's that's quite a few challenges in that as well. Um, but I think yeah, you know, this this is the trouble we are working in. Um, what I call a paradox economy, or I'm going to call it that now anyway. Um, that. As app developers, the demands of what our app should be are getting stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger, whereas the economy of app making is getting, in many ways, tougher and tougher. Um, at some point, this stuff is going to implode upon itself. Um, people are going to have to make the decision, do we want good apps or do we want cheap apps? Um, I, th- I think we cannot continue down the road where we're going where you know you're adding this stuff now to your app you know that's another however many months work that's you know not cheap you've got to recover that money somehow um and in some ways we all have a responsibility i think to uh to make apps accessible we have a community responsibility uh, as purchasers of apps you know if we're only going to make the people who need the accessible features pay that extra premium or you know have an accessible version that costs more you know that's that's not a good way forward as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, so this all this extra work is really important, I feel, but you know, it's it's a real tension. It's a real tension when you're gonna then put your app out there and sell it for four ninety nine, you know, or or free or you know, a, a, a ninety nine cents in app purchase. There's um I can understand why people are saying, Well, actually, I just can't afford to do that and I think that's where we have to as a an industry sort ourselves out a little bit. Indeed. Sorry, Indeed. I thought Indeed. I was talking to myself there for a minute, John, but I'd stunned you no. into silence with my uh, profoundness. Right, John, let's talk um, Let's talk about something else really profound. Let's talk about our show sponsors this week. Um, it's uh, the guys from Martian Craft and their product briefs. Again, that's, um, they're still with us, um, so that means obviously oh. that uh, they're happy with what we're doing or they're not listening to the show and have no idea what we're doing, one of the two. Um, okay, so briefs is an application that allows you to... Uh, design your app in a sort of Photoshop style way to use your Photoshop mock-ups and then put them together and load them onto the device so that you can not only 
see what it looks like when you get this uh, uh, mock-up onto the device, but you can begin to get a feel of what it acts like. You can begin to see how things flow, the flow of the application, what it feels like, whether the um, the, the routes through it are great. And that is actually, to be able to do all that before you start writing this stuff is a huge benefit, especially if you're actually putting the device into the hand of the client, um, if you're doing consulting work or some testers, if you're developing your own app. And, and getting that initial feedback. We spoke a few weeks ago, didn't we, John, about how you'd learn a lot about your app by putting it in the hands of people and seeing how they used it, um, whereas this allows you to do that in, in, to a limited extent, admittedly, um, before you even write the code, and uh, you know, and then to adjust and try things out again. Um, so if you can work this way, then it really is worth working this way. You can check it out at giveabrief.com where you can download a, um, uh, a trial version, and uh, give it a go, and if you like it, it's 199 bucks, which is a, a bargain uh, for what it will save you going forward. And we want to thank the guys from Martian Craft and Briefs to for uh, sponsoring the show again. Briefs make your app flow smooth like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> John, you should have been <laughs> in marketing. You really should. Okay, John, just, uh, no, just no, very quickly to finish now, um, just for a few minutes. Um, uh, obviously, it's quite quick, but the WWDC ticket purchase deadline passed last night. We're recording on Tuesday here, um, Tuesday the 15th of April. Um, there was a lot of speculation about when lots of people hadn't bought their tickets from the lottery, that there might be a whole bunch of emails going out offering a second round or a second chance. Um, I know it's only Tuesday right now, and it's actually only Tuesday morning in West Coast U.S., um, but I've not heard of anybody getting an email yet. Have you? No, I haven't, and I certainly haven't seen mine. I'm continuing to be sad. Just it's 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 dawned on me that I won't have lab time. So yeah, see, I'm I'm holding out this really, 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 really thin hope that the reason I didn't get a rejection email is because I was in the second queue. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the stupid thing is? I'm holding out that hope. I'm holding out that hope, sitting here hoping for that email. Still thinking that when it arrives, I will probably choose not to go anyway. <laughs> yeah, you just what you are choosing is choosing to break my heart because that means that you're not coming to visit. I know, I know, but we we can we can still visit. You're coming to Europe in the summer, aren't you? I'm sure hoping to. Yes. Yeah, well, there we are. I can I can use that money I'm saving to meet you in Europe somewhere. That's what I can do. Anyway, anyway, so um, maybe by this time next week we're going to find out what's going on with those tickets because I know for a fact that. Uh, you know, there are going to be a, a a reasonable number of tickets out there for people who went into the lottery because they hadn't thought about it yet and they did it and then didn't buy their ticket. And it's going to be interesting to find out what happens to those extra tickets and um, see what happens, whether they're now going to be distributed by Apple just on a... Um, if we don't hear anything, then Apple have obviously decided that they're just going to choose who gets those and, you know, that's, that's, that's fine and they'll feel reasonable about that because they gave everybody a chance in and, and the lottery. Um... There was no mention of a second lottery or anything, so I'm just interested to see what goes on there. Anyway, John, that's been... Um, we've used up all our time. We had a few other things to talk about, but we'll just put those off to, to next time because I'd like to keep it on around the 30 minutes. So uh, tell people where they can um, discover you this week. Uh, you can find me on Findery as John Fox. And if you're using Twitter, you can find me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And you can find out all about my product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. I will see you on the internet. And my name is Scotty. You can find me on Twitter as MacDevNet. 
and on ADN as Scotty. I've started using ADN a lot more this week. I've decided to get back into it. My Twitter feeds, I know I follow too many people and I probably need to have a cull, but um, ADN was just a little bit quieter and some better conversations. And so um, I've been not active on ADN for a little while, but uh, been back there this week and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, you can find the show notes for this episode of the show at iDeveloper. Co. John, this is um, if you're a cricket fan, this will be the Nelson episode. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, I'm sure it has something to do with the name. Is the, the it, I mean, are we now at, at show 111? Yeah, the 111 in cricket. The score 111 was known as a Nelson, and umpires, whenever someone was on 111, would do silly things like stand on one leg until the score moved and stuff like this. So, um, I have no idea why, but there we are. So it's the Nelson episode. Uh, this is this is in fact you may not even know what you've been listening to. This is the I Developer Podcast, the Nelson episode. <laughs> we're so good at <laughs> well, this that's... stuff. No, just we're so we're so convinced that whoever is listening is listening no matter what we try to do. We can't shake them. <laughs> so. It's quite funny because it um uh thank you for the people who've put reviews in in the last couple of weeks. We've had a couple of nice reviews. We do a thank you. And if you'd like to go in onto the iTunes um uh iTunes uh, podcast store and give us a review, we'd really appreciate that. Um but it's quite often that uh you know at this conference or something or WWDC I'll be sat having a drink with somebody and, and they'll say, I used to really enjoy it when you used to podcast. It's a shame you've not still do it. <laughs> and at times people say that to me. Oh really? It's like uh, we still do, but obviously it's not something you're interested in. <laughs> but there we are. Anyway, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, we thank you that you are part of a very, very special group um, who who have decided to stick with us no matter what we've done through thick and thin, through wind and rain and trial and, and temptation. You are still here, and we want to thank you. <sighs> And the medical staff will be here to help you soon. That's <laughs> <laughs> just really no more. The people will be to to to, to help mop up the vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. John, it's been great to speak with you again. And everybody out there, until next time, you take care. <laughs> Sickly, sickly, sickly. <laughs> Maybe that should be our new theme song. <laughs> You're listening to iDeveloper Live. <laughs>